Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, psychologist, relationship coach, attachment theory expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, author of Love Magnet and Athletic Wear Connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract to healthy relationship. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. Buckle up and let's get vulnerable. December can be a time where we feel like we're spiraling. Nothing's the way we wanted it to be. If we are single and we wanted to be in a relationship, you're really feeling it. I want to encourage you that instead of spiraling or freaking out, you can take action on healing. You can take ownership and decide enough is enough. I am changing how I'm showing up. 2024 is going to be my year. I am doing the work now. And for those of you that decide to apply to the program in December, I have a really special offer for you. It is the all I want for Christmas is secure attachment offer. You will get access to a journal. This is a daily practice a guided journal that has personally changed my life. And for the first time ever, I'm making it available. So you get this as a bonus gift. It'll be shipped to you as soon as it's available in January. You also, in December, you get an additional month in the Empowered Secure Love program at no cost. So an additional 30 days to integrate and do everything that you need to become securely attached And in December, of course, we are honoring 2023 pricing. So you're wanting to take advantage of that, right? This is going to be the best deal that you'll ever be able to get the program at moving forward. So I highly encourage you, if you've been on the fence, now is the time. Apply to the Empowered Secure Love program using the link in the show notes or the link in my Instagram bio. You are so worthy of taking the time to heal so that you can attract the kind of relationship that you want. And more importantly, so that you can feel so happy and in love with yourself and feel really good because you've released your past trauma and you know that you're creating the life you want. So don't wait on this. This offer is only available to the first 15 women who apply to the program. So if you know, okay, this is the time I want you to take advantage of this offer, go apply now. The link is in my show notes or in my Instagram bio. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan, and I have a very special series for you all. This is my Christmas gift to you. I am giving you the best attachment theory series that I think I've ever done on the podcast. This is going to be a three-part series. So today's episode, and then you'll have two more coming your way. And we are going to deep dive into attachment theory. I want you to understand it at new levels. I have dedicated my life to understanding it for a reason, This is information that once you understand it and then you can integrate it and apply it to your life, 
it will absolutely improve your relationships. So take this seriously. This is going to be really valuable information today on episode one of this three-part series. I'm going to talk about what is attachment theory? Where did it come from? And then we're going to talk about all of the styles. We'll be going into the insecure styles, which is avoidant attachment, disorganized attachment, and anxious attachment. And then we'll also talk about secure, where we all want to be. And we're just going to go into this at a depth that I haven't before. And the, the reality is, as I was preparing this, I realized, wow, there's a lot more information out there now. And there's a lot more research because the field as a whole, the field of relationships, clinical psychology, understanding good treatment in psychotherapy, just the field as a whole has evolved and there's more of an understanding of how important attachment theory is. So there's more out there. So I have been spending the last few months, and I I kid you not, you guys, like this is months of pouring over the research. There's a few books that I've been going through that I absolutely love that are clinical textbooks that are hundreds and hundreds of pages. And I'm going to take the best findings and share it with you. What was really cool for me to see as I was doing this, this research is I had so many things that I just knew when I was building the Empowered Secure Love program, things that I just knew in my soul and in my heart that were needed for transformation because of my own experience, because of my client's experience. And I knew the order in which things needed to happen. And when I tell you that I was able to now read more recent research and see it in print, that those things that I knew and believed were backed up by research, I had tears in my eyes because it was this whole full circle moment of, I believed in this and I knew it and I created it before I had the evidence. And now to see this information, like I said, it just kind of brought me tears because it was like, wow, I was right. (laughs) What I created was right. And I know that it's backed up by research and I knew at the time it was right. But then to see the recent information and just see it in print, I was like, fuck yes, I was right. <laughs> and I know, I know I, I'm right because of the results, the results in my own life, the results in my clients' lives. I get emotional when I think about just how many people we've helped. Um, my goodness. I mean, what a powerful journey I've been on. And I really do owe a lot of my ability to help people I owe it to my deep, deep understanding of the attachment system, attachment theory, how the brain works in relationships. And I thought, what would be something I could give to you all as the audience as a way to give back? And I realized it's this attachment theory series where I give you some of those latest the latest findings. And I, and I want to take you on a journey where you understand this at an even deeper 
level, okay? Because I know how helpful it is. All right, I'm excited. So we're going to get started. This is the first part one of the three-part series, and we're talking about what is attachment theory, where did it come from, some of the origins of the attachment styles, and then what the attachment styles look like in adults, and particularly what do they look like in romantic relationships. And I hope this gives a lot to you and it just gives you a deeper understanding. All right, let's go. Let's do this. I'll take you all the way back to 1969. This is when the very first article came out from John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And they had formulated attachment theory together. And at that time, the focus of attachment theory was understanding the child-parent relationship. And Mary Ainsworth had used this thing called the strange situation where she was looking at how infants responded to their caretakers when a parent would be present with the infant and then leave the room and then come back to the room And there was data that was gathered based on the responses of the infant to the parent's absence in return that was classified then into what we know now as attachment styles. So those those were the beginnings of attachment theory. And we have roots in developmental psychology, also psychodynamic psychology with this concept of internalizing objects, being able to internalize an attachment figure. And what are the impacts of that? That's some of the roots in psychodynamic therapy. Um, And this theory continued to develop over the years and more and more research came together And it wasn't even until the 1980s, it was um, Shaver and Hazan, Philip Shaver and Cindy Hazan, who applied attachment theory to romantic relationships. So we have these roots in the parent-child, and then it gets applied to romantic relationships. If you think about it, the 1980s, that's still relatively new. This is still kind of a groundbreaking, newer area of research, right? And then continuing on, now in today's world, we see attachment theory being applied to friendships, to work relationships, family systems work. We can think about the work of Sue Johnson and her book, Hold Me Tight, Emotionally Focused Therapy. Um, So there's a lot of couples work that has evolved from attachment theory and the applications of it continue to grow. So as I said, there's all kinds of research now on friendships, work, career, I mean, you name it, your relationship to money. Attachment theory really is at the core of so much of our understanding of of human functioning and ways of being. And we can think about some of the core pieces that are able to be applied in any area of our life, okay? And as you all know, on this podcast, we focus on romantic relationships. So that's how I'm going to 
communicate this to you. I'm going to focus on that. But obviously knowing that we can take these course core concepts and apply it elsewhere. So here's what we know. Some of the core pieces of attachment theory is that there is a inner working model of what a relationship is in the research. They'll call this an IWM, an inner working model that gets created early on in child development. So from birth to seven years, we develop this inner working model. And a lot of the research would say that this model gets pretty crystallized even by age two, three. So pretty early on, you're developing your inner working model of what a relationship is. And this includes a lot of pieces. This includes your attachment system, which it is the part of your brain that works to determine how do I connect in a relationship and how do I get my needs for connection met. So for example, your attachment system as an infant is the part that tells you to cry when you want to be soothed. As an adult, this could look like the part of you that sends that text to a friend reaching out for support, right? Your attachment system governs your behaviors and ways that you connect and ask for human connection. Okay, so we have this inner working model, an IWM of what a relationship is. We have our attachment system that is formed, that determines, okay, how do I show up? How do I get my needs met for connection? And another piece that we can understand with attachment theory is there's ways of being in the nervous system that also matter. So how you regulate your emotions, your autonomic nervous system, your central nervous system, how do you regulate your emotions, that is also forming, right? Um, And then we have to also think about beyond the inner working model of what a relationship is, we also have the development of beliefs about self and beliefs about the world and beliefs about relationships. So, Thinking about, of course, if I'm developing beliefs about relationships, then I have to have beliefs about self that match up to my beliefs about relationships. So for example, if I am a child and I cry and my parent never comes, right? They don't come, Um, which makes me sad just thinking about, and I'm sure it does to you as well. Um, Just the idea of reaching out and not receiving support, right? Um, Anyways, if I am that child, then I have to have beliefs about self that allow me to survive in that environment. And that's going to include, I am independent. I don't need anyone. And also for my avoidantly attached folks, it includes, I don't have emotions, right? I am going to suppress, I'm going to deactivate my attachment system to the point of I'm trying to turn it off 
so that when I am distressed, that I don't feel the emotion and that the attachment system does not get activated, right? So these are important pieces to understand about attachment theory as we talk about each style, which is what I want to do next. Before we get into the breakdown of each style, I want to make it clear the understanding of attachment theory and the research that that backs this up does point to, for romantic relationships specifically, that you can have changes in your attachment system later on. You can have changes based on your experiences in romantic relationships, particularly your early experiences in romantic relationships can heavily impact your attachment system in the context of romantic relationships. Why do I say this? Because there are those of you who say, I had a wonderful childhood. My parents were present. I love my parents right? And you mean it. Like you legit had a great childhood, yet you're experiencing a ton of pain and not getting the results you want in your romantic relationships. And I can tell you that this is why, that we know you can have impact to your attachment system later in life and because of your early romantic relationships. Okay. The other thing I want to just confirm is that yes, your parents' attachment style did impact your attachment style. There are intergenerational impacts of the caregiver's attachment style. Research has shown whichever parent you spent the most time with, whether that was dad or mom or a different caregiver, right? Whoever was your primary figure, there is such a high likelihood that they passed on their attachment style to you, right? Or that you developed a reactionary attachment style to the attachment style that they had. For example, if you had a highly avoidant parent, you may develop anxious and vice versa. It There's a lot of factors there as to do you develop the same attachment style as your parent or the reactionary style, but just know that in pop culture, when we talk about intergenerational trauma, there is research to back that up. It is true. You take on the ways of being of your parents. Okay. So we have a lot of understanding now of some of the basics of attachment theory. We have the inner working model of what a relationship is, beliefs about self, beliefs about relationships, your ability to regulate your emotions, understanding that there's an attachment system in the brain that determines what kind of behaviors you use for seeking reassurance, seeking closeness, seeking proximity, right? And we know that there's a huge impact on your early child experiences on how your attachment style is formed and that there's also an impact from your early romantic relationships, or the subsequent experiences that you have in romantic relationships. So, hey, you have such a better understanding. I hope that, you know, you can go nerd out with your friends and you can tell them this information now, hopefully in a way that 
feels like you can really take it in and understand it. And we're going to go even further. We are now going to go into each style. Okay, so let's start with anxious attachment. And I think a lot of times people hear the word anxious and they confuse it with generalized anxiety disorder. Someone who is having all kinds of um, irrational thinking, spiraling, etc. This is not that. We're talking about preoccupied. It's a, it's a different category. You may have someone who overlaps with, with um, anxiety and an anxious attachment style, but they are separate, okay? I just want to clear that up. Um, where does anxious attachment come from? It can come from a parent who has over-involved the child in their well-being, uh, oversharing their state of mind and their own emotional dysregulation and pulling the child into their emotional world. What we know also with anxious attachment, this can look like parental inconsistency, uh, present who or a parent who is very present and then not. Um, this can also be the over-involved parent. There can just, just think about inconsistency from the parent. And a lot of times there's also levels of anxiety, so anxious attachment from the parent towards the child. And we know that this diminishes support in the child having exploratory behavior. When we talk about exploratory behavior, that means a willingness to go out into the world, to explore, to have confidence in the self, to be willing to take risks, right? Like this is a very healthy developmental trait, building confidence in the world. So parents will minimize exploratory behavior in the child. And then we have the anxiously attached adult. So what happens as this child grows up we have a lot of different behaviors. There is clinging and controlling in relationships. How many of you relate to that? Clinging and controlling. So deep fear of abandonment. And sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's not. But it looks like wanting to control and clinging to the connection. Additionally, minimizing distance from the other. And there's, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, there's a huge desire. And once again, this is a lot of times unconscious, but a desire to merge the self with the other. And this can be in friendships, work, romantic relationships, absolutely. Um, but wanting to have closeness and oneness and sameness. Have you ever had that kind of relationship where you both are, oh, we're so, we're both so into Star Wars or one person snowboards. So then the other person starts snowboarding or my partner's a vegan. So I'm going to become a vegan. This is some of that merging of identity. And it happens in anxious attachment as a strategy to not be abandoned and then if you think about what we said about parent relationship, remember the parent was merging with the child and bringing the child into their 
emotional world. So this lines up with the anxiously attached person's inner working model for what a relationship is, is merging with the other. Okay. Other things that happens with anxious attachment is low self-confidence, passive communicator. So always people pleasing, putting other people first. There can be a huge preoccupation with the past. So not being able to release the past, a lot of rumination about the past, feeling of excessive uncertainties. So feeling like there's no certainty in any given relationship. And this goes, this goes back to something I've talked about before where their reassurance bucket has holes in it, AKA when offered reassurance from a partner such as, Hey, I love you. You're my life partner. I'm so happy we're together. The receiving of that does not happen. And even if it is temporarily helpful, it's never enough, right? That's why I say the reassurance bucket has holes in it. The reassurance is not landing. It's not being internalized, right? So you have this excessive fear in the relationship. Other things that happen are with anxious attachment is a hyperactivated attachment system. So, you know, we talked about attachment system is that proximity seeking behavior, reassurance seeking. So these individuals are sending the 17 text messages. They're wanting a lot of connection. They have this hyperactivated attachment system. And this leads to their partner's feeling overwhelmed, which confirms their beliefs about relationships. And so many anxiously attached people believe, I am too much. I will always be abandoned. People don't like me. I am unlovable, right? So we get into that uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Another thing that's important to know about anxious attachment, like I said, it's this hyper-vigilant attachment system, which leads to them being so on edge and they are hypersensitive to signs of danger, to, okay, this they're, they're hypersensitive to, okay, my partner is no longer interested in me, that they, they are hypersensitive to disapproval. So let's say, you're anxiously attached, you pick out your outfit, you're going on your date and your partner is like, Hey, good to see you. Instead of, Hey, you look great. I'm so excited for this date, right? The anxiously attached person is going to internalize and they're going to start spiraling and ruminating and go, Oh my gosh, you know, I don't think they really liked my outfit. Are they no longer attracted to me? Are they with someone else? They don't seem excited about this date. Are they with someone else? It's that hyperactive uh, attachment system that is just so focused on what are the threats? How am I going to be abandoned? How is this relationship going to end? Right? Even thinking about this, I just, I know that I, I have had disorganized attachment in my life. So I relate to both 
anxious and avoidant. And I think about the anxious times and the word that comes to mind for me, exhausting, exhausting. Because the research I looked at as well really backs up this idea that when you're in an anxiously attached place, your brain's primary focus is proximity seeking to your attachment object, AKA your partner. So that's all your brain can think about. So for those of you that have an anxious attachment spiral and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even focus at work. I have no energy. I can't even take care of myself. My life is falling apart. And the reality is, yes, when your brain is experiencing anxious attachment, the relationship is all you can focus on. That's all your brain is focusing on, right? And we know that is so fucking exhausting and so horrible to live that way. Like I say that with so much compassion. Like it's it's hard. It's really hard. So that's a little deeper look at anxious attachment. Okay. I want to go into avoidant and some of the avoidant findings are really interesting. So with avoidant attachment, the roots of this is that the parent was showing up with punishment, um, or distancing or even contempt. And here was a finding that I have known to be true, but I I found it really interesting to see it confirmed in research. Are you ready? The avoidant person likely had a parent who, when they expressed negative emotions such as pain or sadness, or they were hurt and they needed to be soothed, they had a parent who pulled away when that was expressed. And when the child was having exploratory behavior, self-confidence, achievement, let's say they're exceeding at a sport, for example, so the child is showing that they're very capable and independent, then the parent would lean in and be more present and be receptive So what does that tell the avoidantly attached person? It says, in order to be loved, I need to be capable, independent, and I need to be achieving all of the time. And that those painful emotions or with the times when I need reassurance, I need to shut that down, right? That's what the child is learning. I don't know how many of you relate to that, but I know I certainly do this idea of, overcompensating with the positive and achieving and doing and being seen as competent and good enough, right? And that being really easy. And then the times that I'm struggling or something isn't working in my life, like not wanting to share those pieces, right? And being seen as, um, I guess it's even a self disconnection with avoidant attachment. We we realize it's not just that they're not expressing it. It's that they themselves are disconnected from the negative emotions. And I'll talk a little bit more about why that is. So to further explain that with avoidant attachment, 
we have an attachment system that is deactivated. Remember with anxious, it was hyperactivated. With avoidant, your attachment system is deactivated. So those behaviors are shut down, right? And the beliefs, the inner working model of the relationship is that I don't seek proximity. I don't seek closeness. I don't seek intimacy. I don't seek comfort from others. So since that's not available to me, I have to disconnect from those emotions myself and I have to shut down my attachment system, the part of my brain that would cause me to reach, that would cause me to cry, that would cause me to express the desire for connection that has to be shut down and deactivated, right? Okay, so that's part of avoidant attachment. The other part is the belief system. And this kind of correlates with the working model, the belief that I have to take care of myself. And a lot of times it's exaggerated sense of self. So you place yourself on a pedestal. But what we know from research is that this is actually a facade and that using dissociation from negative views of self allows you to place yourself on a pedestal, but that deep down there actually is a negative view of self. Um, There is an emphasis on personal strengths and we know that the behaviors used in relationships are distancing. There's a lot of distancing behaviors. So I don't want to get too close. I'm afraid of intimacy. If emotions come up, I'm going to pull away. There can be experiences of connection that then bring up fear that then lead to distancing. Something else that's fascinating with avoidant attachment is poor recall on attachment-related memories. What does this mean? Break it down. It means that you can feel like there are parts of your life that you do not remember, particularly attachment-related memories, meaning times where you needed support and it wasn't available, times where you were rejected, times where you even did receive support. Any attachment-related memories are suppressed. There's also a low emotional expressiveness, obviously. And I, and I sometimes think, you know, with avoidantly attached people, we're like, just tell me how you feel. And we ask that, right? And here's the reality. They don't know how they feel. So how can someone who's not aware of their own feeling themselves, how can they then express that to others, right? Avoidantly attached people get a really bad reputation. Sometimes they're even called narcissists and that's not the case, right? There's a distinction. A narcissist is manipulating. They're doing things with an aim, with a reason to control and manipulate. Avoidant attachment, it's fear of intimacy, fear of closeness, right? Um, all right. Other features of avoidant attachment. This one's really interesting too. They will hate seeing clinginess, neediness. If they see that in others, they hate it. 
And you know why? It's because they are projecting. They never received the comfort, reassurance, support. So when they see other people as clingy or needy or wanting too much, it brings up all their own unresolved and likely unconscious trauma about them not having received that in their own life. So if you want to really (laughs) annoy someone with avoided attachment, you could tell them a story about somebody who was really clingy or needy or not self-sufficient and just watch. They'll get really frustrated. And I know because I've experienced this myself. Um, Another factor of avoidant attachment, they're not really good with holding space for the needs of others or thinking about the needs of others. They're good at reaching out if they have a need. (laughs) And, And once their need is met, then they're not going to tune in and try to meet the needs of others. All right. And one of the difficult things about avoidant attachment is that clash of part of them wants closeness. There is that part because that's human. We are human. We want closeness, right? It's part of our biology to want to connect. And a bigger part of the avoidantly attached person wants autonomy and freedom and has fear of intimacy. So they still, they have that desire for closeness, but their desire for autonomy and freedom and the fear outweighs the desire for closeness. All right. How are y'all doing? This is, this is a long episode. We're really going in deep here. I hope this has been helpful. Maybe you've had some light bulb moments. I want to talk about disorganized attachment next because this is a really important attachment style that does not get talked about enough. This is my own personal experience. Um, So I think it's really important to talk about it. All right. So disorganized attachment. Likely there is early childhood trauma in the form of abuse, neglect, loss of parent, or all of that. There's also in the research, we know that disorganized attachment is correlated with sexual abuse, sexual trauma. So there's usually some type of trauma early on in child development. And what we see from parents um, in, in how they relate to the child is you have a parent who is appearing hostile at times. So angry and also helpless, angry at the child and also helpless, right? And then another typical thing that will happen in childhood is the child is made to be the parent. So the child is parentified, You have a parent that's coming to the child and telling them all sorts of things and maybe even expressing their anger and maybe even the child is having to set the boundaries and set the expectations for the relationship, right? The child's having to comfort the parent. So that's something that we see a lot. Um, 
Also highly correlated is unprocessed trauma from the parents. So this could be one of your primary caregivers had unprocessed trauma and they could have even lost their parents, right? What's interesting, I guess I'm just reflecting on my own experience, is both of my parents lost their parents at a young age. My mom, her parents were killed by a drunk driver when she was only 11. They were killed simultaneously. There was seven kids. She had six siblings, and they all had to come together and raise themselves. And then my dad never knew his own dad, and then also really had a mom who was not able to be emotionally present. My grandmother, um, she was physically there, but not really present for him. And I think about that and I go, gosh, yeah, you know, my parents, my mom who I had till age six and my dad who is still here, neither one of them ever processed the loss of their parents. And, and I think it's helpful to remember that and we can have compassion and empathy. And I always say this, remember, our parents are doing the best that they can and there are ways that they fail us. Both of those things are true. Okay, but interesting to think about, right? That there is correlation between have your parents done their own healing work? Have they processed their own trauma in research where parents had experienced trauma, but then they had gone to therapy, they had worked on it, they were much more likely to be able to show up with secure attachment than parents who hadn't. And once again, this is a huge, huge motivator for you if you're a parent or you want to be a parent in the future of, hey, let's not pass these insecure attachment styles on to our children, okay? Let's do the work so that we don't pass it on. And there's so much more knowledge now than there was. We really have no reason not to. Like, there's so much out there in terms of how to work on this, the resources, okay? I think about even when I was in my, like, late teens and early 20s, Instagram was just taking pictures of food and selfies, okay? And now you look online, there is so much out there, like so much, okay? There's no reason not to do this work. All right, more about disorganized. Here's one of the hallmarks of disorganized attachment. They have a conflicting IWM, inner working model. They have a conflicting inner working model of what a relationship is, okay? So it can be overwhelming. It can be, I don't want to be close. And then it can also be, oh my gosh, I need this person. I need them to regulate my emotions. So it's that pendulum swing between hyper-independent and very dependent, right? Another thing to consider with disorganized attachment is that the parent likely of someone who was um, who has disorganized attachment style, their parent was likely offering reassurance, but also caused them fear and distrust. 
A big theme for disorganized attachment is lack of trust in relationship. So there's just no, there's just no trust. And then something else we want to know about disorganized attachment is that a common pattern, and I talk about this inside of the Empowered Secure Love Program, I call it the switch, a common pattern for disorganized attached folks. And oh my God, have I done this over and over in the past? This was my pattern is that you start a relationship avoidant. So you're entering the romantic relationship. You're a lot more dismissing and distancing in the beginning. And then if there's enough trust built, and this person is being led into your world, and maybe you've even been a little bit vulnerable, guess what? You pendulum swing to anxious attachment. So this this looked like, for me, being in a relationship for six months or even a year, and I'm cool, girl, I don't need you, please don't call me, I'll hang out when whenever, but on my terms, okay? And then get six months in, a year in, and I'm like, oh my God, I want to spend every second with you. You're my whole world. I need to know that you love me every single day. So this flip-flop between avoidant attachment and anxious attachment is very common when the disorganized person is building a romantic relationship. Okay, other themes is they will dissociate something I've also done of just completely cutting off from your experience. And they can, they can also have a high, um, high exploratory behavior. So they also have a propensity to really, really go into the world um, and really go after what they want, right? And they're hyper-independent. But then we also know that the foundation is so rocky and that it's built on um, this need to prove that you're lovable. Um, some of the research I looked at even called this a pseudo-self. So the version of the disorganized person that is almost like a fake self that's being put out into the world so that's protected and not vulnerable, but below it is so much fear, right? Um, and then let's see what else to know. Oh yeah, that there is a negative sense. And I've talked about this before on the podcast that one of the reasons disorganized attachment is so hard is there is a negative view of self and there's a negative view of others and you're just pendulum swinging between the two, and you suffer chronic low self-esteem. So this is like years and years. It's chronic, right? Low self-esteem. Your self is fragmented, meaning that you don't have a true sense of self. You're lacking self-trust. You're not good at regulating your emotions if I ask you to tune in and know what you need and be present with yourself, you may say to me, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know what I feel, right? You're, you're disconnected from self. And this makes it really hard to be in 
relationships. And people with disorganized attachment style report way more relationship distress and more relationship pain than the average person. It is highly um, elevated compared to the average person. So I do tend to work with a lot of disorganized attachment in my work because those are the people who are in the most pain. Not that the, I mean, hey, anxious and avoidant are also very painful. Uh, But if you're experiencing disorganized attachment, you will come to me and you will say, I will do anything if you can take this pain out of my life. And I see that in the work I do. And I, I really relate to it because that was me in the past. Okay, so those are, that's a deeper dive on the insecure attachment styles. I have to end this episode by talking about secure attachment. Before I do, I know you've been here throughout this whole episode, and I want you to know that if this is speaking to you, I would love to serve you inside of the Empowered Secure Love Program. This program is built on the science of attachment theory neuroscience, rewiring your brain, and also practical of giving you everything that you need to have healthy relationships. This work has changed my life. It's changed the work, the lives of hundreds of people at this point. Um, probably thousands, if I'm honest, if we count everyone who has been impacted by the people who go through the program and then the people that those people impact, right? Like, This has changed so many people's lives and we are so ready to help you. I I talk about the program because I know that there's somebody listening right now who has put off doing this work and you probably have beliefs that you're not worthy of doing it or that you shouldn't spend the time or that you don't trust yourself to follow through and show up. And I want you to know that nothing changes until you change. And inside of the program, this is proven to work to completely rewire your belief system so that you can heal in all areas of your life, not just your relationships. I don't talk about this enough that in becoming securely attached, it was not just about attracting my incredible, emotionally available loving partner that I have. I love my relationship. It was also about my relationship to money, my health, my business, my friendships, my family, my entire life changed in doing this work. So yes, it's about a romantic partnership, but it's also about you just stepping into that secure electric. I'm going to use the word electric because that's, that's what it is. Like your most aligned, your highest and best self. That's what this work is about. So if you have been on the fence, you're hearing this, this is the time you can apply to the empowered secure love program using the link in the show notes. I would love to be your guide through this process. And like I said, I want to end talking about secure attachment. What do we know about secure attachment? Okay. The beliefs are love feels good. Love gets to feel easy. Love adds value to my life. I enjoy 
the relationships that I have, and I also enjoy my independence. I want you to really get this. Like at the heart of secure attachment is I get to have it all. I get to have connected, loving, thriving relationships, and I get to have independence and self-confidence and know who I am and not lose myself in relationships. With secure attachment, I have both self-soothing behaviors and reassurance-seeking behaviors. I have access to both. I am not outsourcing my ability to regulate my emotions. I can regulate my own emotions and I can ask for support from others, right? These are really important things. I have inner working models of relationships that support me. I believe people want to be close to me. I I assume the best of people. I assume that people want to grow and build secure, long-term relationships. And I attract people who value relationships and who value partnership, right? And I am able to regulate my nervous system and be at a calm, securely attached place that does make it effortless for me to bring in what it is that I want in my life in all areas of my life. And these people have the ability to establish a secure base within themselves and within their relationships. And this looks like, for those of you who have experienced this in childhood, this looks like a parent who was there for you, who offered reassurance, and who also encouraged you to be your own person and to explore. A parent that could validate your emotions and support you. A parent where you were able to internalize, we think about this, right? Like internalize a healthy parent that was able to respond to you when needed. So you you had a working model of this is what it's like to offer support. This is what it's like to be reassured. You were able to internalize that and have that voice, if you will, with you at all times, even if your parent wasn't present, okay? So as I'm describing secure, I know that there's probably very few of us that can relate to this. And hey, if you do, that's awesome. And like I said, maybe it was actually your early romantic experiences because I've seen that a lot where it's like, okay, you know, the parent relationship was great, but then my first boyfriend did X, Y, Z. But that's what some of the foundations of secure attachment are knowing that you're enough, knowing that you can have your emotions validated, being in a place of reality and secure attachment where I know I can depend on myself and I can depend on others and relationships get to feel good. Relationships get to add value to my life. And I have a strong sense of self and I know who I am and I trust myself and I trust my decisions in relationships and life feels good. Okay. 
I hope this episode was eye-opening for you. I hope you learned a lot. And like I said, maybe now is the time for you to do the work. And if that's the case, I would love to have you. We do have some really wonderful offers for December. Uh, This is a great time. You get ahead of the new year. You're already taking action on who you want to be in 2024. And I know that that feels really good when we do that. Okay, I'm sending you so much love. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram or Facebook. Make sure you tag me. It would mean the world to me if you took just a moment to leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this show grow, the more people will be able to help. Until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.